anyone in that movement, but the acronym may change next year, and uh, I can't keep saying that acronym. So I'm, again, I'm not trying to be rude or dismissive, but that's just what I'm going to call it. So just to review some things from last time, right? Anybody ever done a, a puzzle with their family? Okay, and we, t we talked about like how do you how do most how do most people start doing the puzzle? If you're my mother-in-law or brother-in-law, you put some pieces in your pocket so you can be sure that you can do the last puzzle piece. <laughs> and so when the big moment happens, everybody's shaking each other down. Do you have it? Right? But some people, right, they start with the edges. Some people organize by colors, and there's a dog over here, a barn, a mountain, right? But everybody starts by looking at the box. You have to look at the box to understand where all the pieces fit, right? Anybody done a puzzle where somebody snuck in pieces from a different puzzle, right? And you're like, where does this fit? Where does this dog fit in space, right? It just, it just doesn't fit, right? So last week, we looked at, at the picture, and we're calling this a, a biblical worldview. And so we want to go ahead and review some of those things. Oh, if you can go to the next slide there. So as we're, we're figuring out our, our AV things, um, the big idea for tonight, right? When we're presented with a difficult issue from society or culture, we want to go back and say, how does this issue fit or compare with Christianity? Right? We don't just want to kind of, we don't just want to shoehorn a little bit of Bible into that issue. We want to step back and go, okay, here's, here's what the Bible says in a comprehensive way. How does this thing fit into the Bible? All right, so for our basics, right, everything started with the letter S. Tonight, everything starts with the letter S. I didn't start out that way, but it just kind of happened. All right, so when we talk about a biblical worldview, right, and we could add so much more into this, right, but this is kind of the, the central thing, right? The Bible has things to say about sin. The Bible has things to say about uh, a Savior named Jesus, has things to say about how we're saved, this big theological word, sanctification, right? That just means that we grow in Christ. Has things to say about submission. Has things to say about heaven, right? What is, what is the end of all of this? Right? We're calling that splendor and finally sharing, right? The Great Commission. And so a couple of things we talked about last time, right? We talked about sin, right? So as we talk about sin, take a moment and just reflect that the AC is not working and it's just hot in here. So to simulate fire and brimstone, no, we're not. But as we talk about sin, right, the Bible has things to say. Right? Is all sin equal? That's a question we looked at last time. Well, yes and no. All sin is equal in that God can forgive sin. He doesn't say, oh, I'm not going to forgive you, I'm not going to forgive you because you've done a certain a certain thing. But is all sin equal? Well, no, right? Because sin has different consequences, right? If I go to Chick-fil-A, steal a chicken sandwich, 
They may or may not call the police. They may just say, get out of here, put my face on the wall. You see this guy, right, the chicken bandit. If I embezzle money year in, year out from my job, right, there's more serious consequences, right? God can forgive both. God can forgive both. And a person can repent of both, but they're a little bit different. And so tonight we want to we wanna wrestle with a couple of questions. So what happens when we look at our, our biblical worldview? What happens when we kind of change it a little bit? Right, when we try to, to fit something in as we're wrestling with an idea? What happens if we change it or what happens if we just reject it outright? Say we just need to start over. Just need to add something new. So hypothetical. What happens if we just start modifying our worldview? Right, so we're going to say that the gospel is the person and work of Jesus. Right, so can you say that with me? The gospel is the person and work of Jesus. Right, it's the truths about who Jesus is and what he's did, what he's done, and what he will do, right, and how that work affects our lives. That is the gospel. That's at the heart of our worldview. So, if someone comes along and says, well, the Bible defines such and such as sin. This particular topic, we, there's little ears in the room. I just want to do my best to be sensitive to that. Right? The Bible says that, right, uh, two people of the same gender Right, getting married and doing married things, right? That is sin. The Bible says that. If we begin to change the definition of sin and say, well, the Bible really needs to get with the times. You know, there's, I've gone through a lot of, uh, a lot of counter arguments, right? And that's one of the big arguments is, is people will not argue from Scripture why things of the pride movement are not sin. Rather, they'll argue from a historical context. Well, you know, I mean, do you remember, do you know what they actually did back in the Roman and Greek days? They were, they were pretty messed up people. And so that, that kind of takes into account the biblical picture. And, and it's not really sin. Right? All the things connected to the pride movement. So if, hypothetically, if we change the definition of sin... Right? Dominoes start to fall in that worldview. Why? Because we have changed the work of Jesus. What did Jesus die for? My sin. Your sin. The sins of everyone. If we begin changing the definition of sin, we then begin changing the definition of what Jesus has done. And if the dominoes keep falling, right, if we say things like Jesus was sinless and we have changed the definition of sin, now we can change the definition of what Jesus was like. If we keep going down the list, sanctification, if we've removed the definition of sin for something, we no longer are going to grow out of that sin into holiness. We talked about the sin-holiness dynamic last time. So if, if we've changed the definition of sin, just one little thing, right? Sanctification is different. We're not going to grow out of that. 
It's going to stay with us. We talked about last time, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Right? They'll be moving from sin to holiness. And it, it keeps going down. It changes the definition of submission. So we submit unto the word. Right? Well, we're going to change, tweak the definition of sin. We don't have to submit to that anymore. Finally, it gets into the definition of heaven. Right? We say heaven is a place where we will be free from sin. We will be completely made new. We will no longer desire sin. We won't do things to hurt each other and be hurt by each other. But if we've changed the definition of sin, now we've brought this thing all the way to heaven. Right? And finally, sharing. Making disciples. If we have changed these fundamental definitions of sin, we are on treading on waters where we will begin making disciples who will continue on in sin. All right, so do you see how the dominoes are connected? It's not just a little thing where we can say, well, we're just going to let this little thing sneak in. It's just a little change. We don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. That is an argument from people who are pro-pride being included into church. That's membership um, and leadership. They say, well, we want to have good fruit, and it is good fruit to not hurt people's feelings. These are some of the arguments being thrown about. Right? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 7, you've got to have good fruit. And good fruit means not hurting people's feelings. Right? And that does not hold up. Jesus said a lot of things that hurt people's feelings. But he did it with truth, love, and humility. We're going to talk about that a little later. So that's our worldview, right? And so when somebody looks at, at, at me or maybe one of us that, that leans maybe more towards fundamentalism or not wanting to, to change with culture and society, this is why it's a big deal. It changes everything. We see it all connected. So that's what, so that's what happens when we begin to change something. Now tonight, I'm trying to give you something so you can think through any issue, not just the pride movement. Because, and somebody help me out, maybe you remember the verse where it talks about the devil prowling around like a roaring lion. And what is that lion seeking to do? Devour and destroy. Right? As he prowls around seeking to devour and destroy, he's going to infiltrate and imitate in the church. So he wants to give mostly truth with just a little bit of not truth. And he's been doing this uh, since the New Testament days and even before. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul writes this. All right, this would break my heart if, if somebody wrote this about our church or really any church. But Galatians chapter 1 verse 6 says this, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Jesus and are turning to a different gospel. Right, so he's astonished that this church that he's planted, they've just, they've turned away to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who will trouble you 
and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Right, so many letters in the New Testament, Paul is writing to address this issue where, this has, where a, a deception has crept into the church. And it's not arguing about decorations or, or music styles. It's about the gospel itself. The church in Galatia was troubled with people that said, hey, you know the gospel that Jesus and that great thing he's done? It's awesome. But you also need to follow some of these Old Testament laws. You need to pick and choose these things. If you do these things plus accept Jesus, then you'll be saved. Right? And it's that little modification. Right? In this case, they didn't change the definition of sin. They changed the definition of salvation. It's not just the person and work of Jesus. It's Jesus plus these handful of laws from the Old Testament. Now, what, you say, okay, what's, what's, the, what's the danger in all this? If we start tinkering with this worldview enough, we, we change the definition of sin, we change the definition of what Jesus has done, we, we are in danger of having a false gospel. Okay? And we're in danger of then sharing that false gospel. And people who think they have put their faith in Christ and that they're saved, it's in a false gospel. Okay, that's what's at stake, people being deceived into falsehoods. So that's, that's, where, the, that's where a lot of the deceptions come in. We're just going to tinker with some of this worldview. We're going to modernize it, right? And that's what many of the arguments for uh, the pride movement do. Uh, but now we're going to look at what happens when we reject this design. We just reject this and say, no, we need to substitute our own. And so if, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And so if, if you Google, what is the biblical case for, for the pride movement to be uh, incorporated into the church? Members, attenders, leaders all the way up. Uh, there's, there's quite a few arguments out there. Uh, there's 10 of them. We're not going to go through all 10 tonight, but we're going to go through one of them tonight. And it starts in Romans chapter 1. So the, the big idea for what we see in Romans chapter 1, right, is, is there someone that's going to reject God's design and substitute their own? That's, that's what's happening here in Romans chapter 1, uh, 18 through 33. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed. Whoa, wait a minute. We're going to talk about wrath? Right, well, usually when I think of wrath, right, I'm thinking more of eternity. Right? We're thinking heaven and hell, the final consequences. Right, but as we're about to read, there is wrath from God that is being revealed now. In fact, someone may be experiencing it in their life, and it's not the hellfire and brimstone. But we're going to see what that wrath looks like. Verse eighteen: For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. 
okay, you've got my attention, that the wrath of God is being revealed. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth? Right? So what, what does it mean to suppress? Right? It's like you're, you're trying to hold something down. Right? The truth is trying to spring up, and you're trying to hold it down. We're going to suppress this, trying to keep it down. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So there's wrath that is being revealed against people who are trying to suppress the truth. Uh, if you're looking for a principle to write down, right, suppressing the truth leads to submit, substituting the truth for a lie. That's what we're going to see next. Suppressing the truth leads to substituting truth for a lie. Verse 20, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So what, what, is, what is Paul talking about here? It says, we can look at nature and how it operates and begin to get an idea of who God is. Right? Maybe you've heard of uh, people that argue for an intelligent design of the creation of the universe. Right? Um, I know we have some people who are in the medical field. Aaron. Okay. Um, as we take this little detour about looking at, the, looking at nature to see that there, there is a God, that this didn't just happen by random chance, I want you to consider one of the most awkward and weird animals out there, the giraffe. If you've seen a giraffe, it's not graceful, it's not elegant. Right? It stumbles around. And from a hydraulic perspective, it shouldn't work, right? Now, not to nerd out on people too much, right? But in a human being, the heart and brain are like a foot apart. So the heart has to work so fast to pump blood up to the head. Now, most of us aren't constantly putting our head down by our feet, right? Most of us. If you're like my son, just throws himself around the house, right? Just, Lord, don't let him get a concussion today. Right. But with a giraffe, right, there's like 15 feet or so between the heart and the brain. So the heart has to work really, really fast to pump blood up there so it doesn't pass out. Well, when it puts its head down, right, all the blood's going to rush to the head and it's going to faint. But God put a bunch of little valves in the neck. So when the head goes down, all the valves shut and keep the blood from rushing to the brain. And when the head comes back up, all the valves know to open, the heart pumps, right? Giraffe shouldn't exist. This is way too complicated of a system for something to be, just survive, right? They are beautiful. He did. He did, it didn't just happen. You can say, man, this is such a weird animal. Why did, why did God make that? Or consider something as simple as putting a seed into the ground. Somebody had to say, you know what? When this seed germinates, 
It's going to be a root that goes down. It's going to be a plant stalk that goes up. So that seed is aware of, you know what, there's gravity. My roots need to go that way. And the leaves need to go this way because there's sun up here. Roots go down to the nutrients. In fact, they've done all kinds of experiments where they put seeds in jars that are upside down. The roots come down, and when they hit air, they turn back around. Right? They know. They've been programmed. Then just happen. They've even put seeds in a spinning jar to make gravity, you know, spin out. And the roots, they follow gravity. So there is a design. People can look out into the world and say, you know, this didn't just happen. There's, there's something that put all this together. Right? I didn't just happen. Right? Two people came together right, and made me. And if you're here, that happened for you, right? If you don't know that, then we need to have a different uh, conversation. Right? Nothing just happened by coincidence. And so what Paul's saying back here in Romans is that people can look out and see and begin to learn some really basic things about God. You can look out in nature and observe, right? How do people and how do animals, how are they fruitful and multiply? Right? There's a very specific way that that happens, and God set that up. We're going to talk about the unnatural way here in a minute. So the context here is that people can look and observe and begin to understand basic things about God. There is a natural way, there's a way that he intended that is good and that is best. And then there's this way of, I'm going to reject that. I'm going to do my own thing. That is the context. So they're exchanging things of God for things not of God. And it says they become fools with their hearts darkened. Suppressing the truth leads to substituting truth for a lie. So what happens? Right? Verse 24 and 25. So there's these people that begin to reject God. They actively reject God. So what happens in verse 24? Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So these people that should be looking out into nature and going, man, God created, something created all this. Right? I wonder if we can get to know this God who created all these beautiful things. Instead of their hearts being prone to worship the God who created everything, and to look at, here's the order that God set. Right? Let's honor and follow that. They reject that. And they say, we're going to worship our own way, our own thing. Instead of following the, the way that God has set up, we're going to follow our own way. And this brings about that wrath. Right? It's not fire and brimstone. It's simply God, it says in verse 24, you may want to underline this, God gave them up. They rebel against God and say, we want to do our own thing. We want to worship this. We don't want to worship you. We want to live our own way. We don't want to follow your rules. God says, okay. 
Think back to the prodigal son. The prodigal son said, I want my inheritance and I want to go do my own thing. What did the father in that story say? Okay. Gave him over. And that is the wrath that some people are experiencing right now. They've been given over to indulge their choices. Verse 25, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And verse 26, now this is where you're going to see some of the pro-pride folks start to argue and twist scripture because they're just going to start reading at 26 and 27. They're not going to understand the context of these verses that there's a group of people that are sinful and they're rebelling against God. They want to worship themselves or something else. They don't want to worship God. They want to wholesale reject all of God's ways and they want to lead themselves or follow something that is not God. That's the context here. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And remember, they wanted to get rid of God's way and embrace their own. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women, and they were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. All right, so, so these people that have just rejected wholesale God's way, right? God has just given them over. So they reject the natural way that God has set up, and they're given over to an unnatural way. Instead of looking and saying, what does God say about this? How can I please God? How can I follow God? They say, I want to follow my heart and do what makes me happy. Proverbs 10, 23 says this, Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. Have you ever seen somebody that's they're just kind of drunk on their own decisions and they're just kind of laughing about all the things that they're doing? It's just a joke. But wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. Right? The greatest pleasures in life can be found in following God. The pleasure offered by sin fades quickly and leaves sorrow that gnaws on our souls until we are forgiven by God. So verse 28, right, this, this keeps going. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, Faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. All right, so as, as this rebellion grows, 
and God gives them over to that. Not only, do, not, not only is it enough for them to have that rebellion in their life, but they say, this needs to be in the life of our kids. This needs to be in the life of others. It would be great if others joined in this rebellion against God. And so that is the passage. That is why we would say that these unnatural things, these unnatural relations, right, they're not part of God's design. That's why we would call them sin. But the pro-pride argument would simply say that, oh, well, they're just, they're just getting carried away with their, with their lust and their passions. They just need to learn to control that. That's what's really going on. That's what they will point to in this passage. It's not the particular things or the relationships or the people involved. It's simply, well, the, the lust just kind of got out of hand. No, this is about rejecting God and rebelling against him. It's about looking up at the divine and saying, no. I'm going to go do my own thing. God says, okay. But if you've read the rest of Romans, you know that there is redemption available. You know that God can save people that have shaken their fists at God and say, I don't want any part of you, God. There is redemption for those people. God saves. God changes hearts. And so we... First of all, we, how do we gain understanding of, of folks who are coming from the pride movement? And how do we gain understanding... Okay, so forgive this really, really crude artwork, right? If you are a graphic designer and, and are just looking at this and saying, I could make this beautiful, uh, let me know. But, right, that circle kind of represents a person, right? And there, there's a little chair right in the middle, right? We're going to call that a, a throne, right? So what is the most important thing in this person's life? And right now, this little green person is the most important thing. And so there's all kind of things in our lives that we have to take care of, right? And some, for some of us, right, power is the most important thing, right? Are we in control? Are we in control of everything that goes around us? Nothing happens without our say-so. Maybe it's heritage, right? I'm from such and such family, such and such country, right? Uh, for some, it's their gender and their sexuality. For some, it's social media following. I have so many followers, therefore, I'm important. And the pursuit of money and social media, that's going to be the main thing of my life. Maybe it's just your job. It's a real big one for men, right? You ask guys, what are they? They say whatever their job is. Right? Maybe it's family, right? It's, it's real easy to get caught up in the point of my life is these little children, keeping them alive, getting them to the next day. Maybe it's money. Everybody needs money, right? But the love of money is the root of all evil. Maybe it's charity and good works. Right? This is a big one in our culture. People don't want the God part, but they say, I want to get involved in something good. I want to do something good. 
Right? And good works are, are great. Maybe it's just material goods, right? The American dream. Got to have the bigger house so I can put more stuff in it. Right? All the stuff we got for Christmas this year is the stuff I want to throw out next year, right? Anybody else feel that way? Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm ungrateful. I don't know. Right? But there's all these different things that go into our lives. Right? And things can get out of balance. Right? And this is kind of what's happened with right, the pride movement. It's not just enough that, that I'm, well, I'm just me. Right? Everything has to be about gender and sexuality. Or somebody could put money there, family, they could put whatever. Right? But this is uh, what the pride movement is about for some of them. Well, when someone, you notice we put a little cross in the corner. So now we're introducing Jesus to this situation. And for the person whose identity is solely wrapped up in gender and sexuality, it's a big decision to, to put that aside and let Jesus move from outside into that little throne. Now, it could be just as difficult a decision if, if family was there or material goods or power, whatever. But it seems to be a particularly difficult thing. So what most people try to settle on is we're going to keep gender and sexuality up on the throne. We're going to have God down on the side. And he's going to be cool with it. Right? And it, it could be any of those things. It could be money. Could it be our power and social standing? Could it be our good works? Well, I've done so much that God owes me. Right? There's nothing that you've done that God owes you. Nothing. Right? But this, this doesn't save a person. It's not enough just to add Jesus as one of the, the things in our lives. It's not enough just to quote a couple of Bible verses and then say, okay, I'm good. Right? We have to let Jesus have his place. And this gets to the submission. Right? Whatever is, whatever is fighting for that top spot in our hearts, it has to be Jesus. And all those other things have to fall into submission to Jesus. And that takes a lifetime to learn how to submit those things. Um, as we, you know, if we click through a PowerPoint, it's real easy to, to maybe become very preachy, right, to the person that struggles with things related to the pride movement. And again, it could be any of these other things. Say, like, you have to get fixed right now. And it's tempting to say, if I throw enough Bible at this person, it's going to fix them. It's going to change them. If I just keep nagging them, they'll change. I can't make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. And I'm thankful that I can't do that. Right? You can't do that for someone else. It's a matter in their heart. It's between them and the Holy Spirit. They've got to wrestle and work that out. But you can't do it for someone else. What you can do is pray. And I know that sounds cliche, I know that sounds cliche and like, okay, that's, okay, we prayed, but now what do we do? 
right? And maybe that, that's more of a commentary on our hearts looking down at prayer. So you may ask, well, why, why did we jump straight to prayer? Um, there's a video I wanted to share tonight. We're not going to share it just because there are uh, little ears in the room. Uh, but I have a family member, uh, my cousin. Her name is Laura. Uh, she has gone through uh, all of the promises of the pride movement involving surgeries and all kinds of things. And she, was, she followed the program. If I do this, I'll be happy. I feel this way on the inside. I need to make my outside look like this. She followed all of those things. And she grew up in a household similar to most of us here. Memorizing scripture in kids' church, in the church. The doors are open, family's there. Mama, mama played the piano, daddy sang in the choir. Okay, you starting to get the picture? And yet because of sin in her life, by her and other people, right, she was left with this feeling of, well, I'm not good enough and I have to fix myself. And so she had a 10-year season of life where she was trying to figure this out. And um, what you'll see in the video is that her parents, my family, we couldn't put her in a logical headlock and say, this doesn't make sense. We couldn't throw enough Bible at her. Well, I take that back. Um, we couldn't just share one little scripture and say, oh, everything clicked. But there is a good ending to the story, but it took 10 years. And it was prayer, it was scripture, it was love, and it was humility. And she now is on fire for the Lord. And uh, we're going to send that video out on the group me. Parents, if you'd like to watch it, and you can decide if, uh, if you'd like to share that with, with your family. But what brought her back, uh, she was a web developer. And her mom led a Bible study for the church. She wanted to, uh, my aunt, uh, she wanted to have a website for her Bible study. So she asked Laura, hey, can you build a website? And as she started feeding her content to put on the website, which was all scripture, right, she began, a lot of the lies in her head began to change. Her worldview changed. She began to say things like, I didn't know God was like this. I thought it was just all about the rules and keeping the rules. I thought it was just all about being obedient. I didn't know God was loving like this. I didn't know God could forgive like this. I didn't know God could transform people like this. So it was prayer, it was the word, and then love, right? As, as Laura began to change and she was invited back into a Bible study, these women that had been praying for her for many, many years uh, they raised money for her to buy new clothes, right? The first time she came to the Bible study, they just hugged on her, everyone cried, right? And as she began to embrace who she was in Christ, they said, hey, 
we've raised money for you so you can get a new wardrobe because, you know, the wardrobe that you have doesn't really uh, match who you are. And so there was, there was prayer, there was the truth of b- the Bible, and there was love, and then there was humility. Before, before the good part of the story, one of the worst parts of the story is uh, as my aunt was playing the piano for church and as Laura was in kind of the worst part of her journey, uh, my aunt was saying, I hope she doesn't come to church because if she walks through the back door, I then have to explain to all my friends and family what happened. And there was one day where Laura did come to church and my aunt was faced with these thoughts in her head that, oh, I'm embarrassed of my daughter. And when Laura came in, that just broke her and convicted her. She had been in a position of pride, trying to fix somebody else. And that's when she humbled herself and said, Lord, you need to fix this. I can't fix it. So it's, it was scripture, it was love and humility, all of those things together. And so I share those things. If you know or have someone in your life that is in the pride movement, particularly if they are claiming to be a Christian and within the pride movement. We need to buckle up and commit to praying for them. We need to humble ourselves and say, Lord, only you can fix this. Right? I can't, I can't, I can't tweak a person's heart. But Lord, you can. Lord, we're begging you to do that. We need to be ready to love. And we need to be ready to share the truth of Scripture. We can't just pick one of those things, right? We can't just beat someone over the head with the Bible. We're just a cold critic, an academic. We can't just love somebody, then, right, then we're just the party house. Right? Come on over and have fun, right? And we can't just be humbly at home praying, because we need to go out and share Uh, so uh, look for that video link in the group me. Um, and if you have any other questions, right, about what does Alamo Stone think about the pride movement and this, that, and the other, uh, talk to me or Jody or Dave. We'd love to dive more into those questions. Um, but let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that your love doesn't fail. God, even when we're at our worst, God, even when we actively reject you and go our own way, Lord, like the prodigal son, Lord, when there's that moment where we, we realize and repent, Lord, you're right there to run after us and embrace us, Lord. God, I pray for, for anyone here or anyone who uh, connected to someone here, Lord, who's, who's lost uh, in the pride movement, Lord. I, I pray that you would, Lord, I pray that as gently as you can, that you, would, that you would change and break their hearts, Lord. That you would bring them to you. That you would bring them out of uh, that life. Lord, that they would become a new creation. They would be saved. They would be redeemed. They would be transformed in you. 
God, help us to pray for those around us. Help us to avoid the temptation to try to fix other people, Lord, but to humbly and boldly bring them before you in prayer. Lord, give us the time and the place to share your truth. God, help us to love as only you can. And God, help us to be humble. To not try to fix people from a place of pride, but to be humble and to bring them to you. God, I pray that you would help each of us to be rooted firmly in the truth, but not taken captive by all the different philosophies and thoughts of the day, Lord. Help us to be rooted and grounded in your truth. God, we thank you for your son and for his work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.